Hey moms, Brie here. Question, have you ever found yourself at a loss for words when it comes to helping your athlete daughter? Specifically, before a game when she's feeling super nervous and you just want her to be confident or in that car ride home when she's being hard on herself and you just want her to also see the good things she did out there. Now, if you have, you're not alone. It's so hard to know what to say to get her out of her head and start believing in herself. That's why I'm excited to share about our four-day What to Say Challenge happening this month. This challenge is specifically designed for moms of girl athletes to help you know what to say to build her confidence without making things worse or causing her to shut down. Even if you're often met with things like, you have to say that, you're my mom. Over the four days, we'll be together for short trainings to give you strategies and scripts so you'll never be stuck wondering what to say again. The challenge is happening May 14th through 17th, and registration is open now for early bird pricing. So you get 60% off the challenge, and you can hop in for just $19. Head to sportsmom.fyi forward slash challenge to register. That's also linked in the show notes. We kick off on Monday, May 13th with our pre-party, and I hope to see you there. The body doesn't differentiate between types of stress. It's how we perceive the stress itself. And so self-critical athletes tend to also think that stress is bad immediately, like critic of me is bad, or I haven't been perfect, so I am bad. That might also turn into shame over a long period of time. And this is where we get a concept of chronic stress. Now I'm chronically putting myself under pressure. I feel a lot of shame. I feel like, um, somehow I'm not worthy or I have to perform in order to make everybody happy with me. And that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself again, physically and psychologically. You can't really recover from that. Hey there, we're Christina and Brianne. And one of our greatest passions is enabling female athletes to uncover their greatness, allowing them to break free from their limitations and achieve their biggest dreams. As expert coaches and confidence and mindset educators, we created the Elite Competitor to enable moms and coaches to build lifelong confidence, resilience, and elite performance. Think of this as your weekly dose of inspiration, where you'll feel enabled with proven strategies, real-life stories, and transformative lessons. Welcome to the Elite Competitor Podcast. In this episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Julia Eyre to talk all about how self-critical athletes can learn how to self-regulate. Now, this is key for those of you with athletes that tend to be stressed mentally or physically. I mean, what, what athlete isn't, but who are also often critical of their performance, beat themselves up, or just become in an overly negative headspace regarding their performance. Now, Julia is a sports neuroscientist who talks loudly about load management, speed, pain, menstruation, stress, queer issues, and athlete mental health. Before founding White Lion Performance, she coached at the collegiate level, researched in clinical psychology, and now she partners with clubs and institutions as a sport neuroscience consultant, athletic coach, and instructor. She prioritizes healthy humans over everything. And in this episode, we really dove into how athletes can self-regulate, especially when they become very self-critical. We talk about the impact of stress management on an athlete's performance. We also dove into why having awareness around stress is crucial to the well-being of an athlete. And then, of course, we chatted all about the role that parents play in helping athletes manage their stress. So Julia is so knowledgeable in this area, yet she breaks it down in a way that we can all understand. So enjoy this episode. And remember, your daughter's mental game is her biggest competitive advantage. 
All right. Welcome, Julia. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Let's dive in. Awesome. All right, Julia, can you tell us just a little bit about your background, your story? How did you get where you are and what you're doing? No, I don't know anything about that. Okay. Okay. Next question. (laughs) So next question. No, I'm Julia. I sound American-ish because I am American-ish. I'm German-American. I grew up in the States and live in Germany. I'm German, et cetera. I am a sports scientist and psychologist, not a sports psychologist specifically, but I do work in sport. I'm actually a neuropsychologist. So I work more in the areas of stress, stress management, self-regulation for athletes, managing performing under pressure, those kinds of things. And when I was doing my master's and when I started my PhD, which I didn't finish, by the way, academia academia is a a different story we could get into at another time. Um, I worked specifically on like emotional characteristics that athletes might have, profiles of athletes who struggle more with pressure and also different types of stress and fatigue themselves, like physiological stress or our physical stress versus psychological stress and how those play in and how we might be able to intervene and make sure that not too much damage is caused so that we can still perform to our best abilities. And another big part of what I do is advocating for athletes as humans and not as like yeah something that's commercialized or commoditized. They're not up for sale for me. So obviously I'm a, I'm basically a scientist who, um, uses easier words so that everybody can understand and make science more accessible. And also I advocate for athletes, mental health, physical health, and that health always goes before performance money titles. So that's where I am. Wow. That's so great. No, I totally agree. Like in, in our conversations and getting a glimpse of your background and how much, you know, but then when you talk about these concepts and like, Oh yeah, this like makes sense. You totally do a good job of like making complex topics more simple and easy to digest. So, well, you studied as well. So you know how it is when you sit in a classroom and it's like, it's nice that the theory is there. Now, what do I do with it? Like Mm -hmm. this is in one ear out the other, or you memorize it just for the exam and then it's completely gone. And I like to hang on to those things and be like, Hey, here's exactly how we can use it. This is why it's actually practical to know Mm -hmm. these kinds of things and make juicy tidbits that people can actually use. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So today we're talking mostly on the topic of stress response, um, self-regulation and athletes and what you were talking about with performing under pressure, um, especially for athletes who are self-critical. I mean, it, it resonates a lot with our community. And so first question I have for you is like, what are these common situations that you see athletes in that trigger like this stress response, maybe like an unhealthy stress response or, or what are you seeing and experiencing? So I would differentiate immediately between what's called acute stress, which is something that happens in a specific situation like, oh, I have to take a penalty kick or I'm starting this match, something like that, something that puts you under pressure for a couple of minutes. And then once the pressure is then taken off, like we won the game or I played and now I've been traded out, whatever. Now it's gone. So that acute stressor has now resolved itself. We're talking generally more with chronic stress that tends to peak with acute situations as well. So acute pressures as as well. So athletes who are self-critical, for example, put a lot of pressure on themselves, probably psychologically, also physiologically or physically, maybe emotionally, cognitively as well. And so what's really important is that the body doesn't differentiate between types of stress. It's how we perceive the stress itself. And so 
self-critical athletes tend to also think that stress is bad immediately. Like critic of me is bad or I haven't been perfect. So I am bad. That might also turn into shame over a long period of time. And this is where we get a concept of chronic stress. Now I'm chronically putting myself under pressure. I feel a lot of shame. I feel like, um, somehow I'm not worthy or I have to perform in order to make everybody happy with me. And that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself again, physically and psychologically, you can't really recover from that. And stress can actually be a good thing. Like in training, that's a a stressor for us. And that makes us better. Or I don't know, studying obviously is a stressor that makes us better. Meditating is a, a stressor, for example, that makes us better because we're then more able to sit with these feelings and have more tolerance. But self-critical athletes don't always have that tolerance. And so a lot of what we do in stress management training is learning how to tolerate critique, learning how to tolerate pressure and not let it become an acute situation where you're just always stressed out and sport isn't fun for you anymore. And you can't ever recover because it's just you're always stressed out. So again, if if you can't get any recovery to your stress, if it's not proportional, you're going to lead come, come injuries, come illness, burnout, or just no motivation, no more fun in the game. And that's not what we want. Right. Yeah. So other than like, it just doesn't sound like it's a good thing to always be stressed out. Why is it not great to be under this chronic stress? Like what, what's happening? Why is that wrong? Okay. So we have in our nervous system, multiple different systems. And one of the subsystems, well, two of the subsystems are called the parasympathetic nervous system. And that's like your body's brake pedal. So all the regeneration happens there. For example, it influences a lot of our breathing, slows down our heart rate. It helps us get to sleep. It helps us digest. And then we have another side that is the sympathetic nervous system. And it's basically the inverse or the antagonist of that. And that speeds everything up. So that's the gas pedal. So everybody's heard of fight or flight. Probably (laughs) if you're in a stressful situation bam, you slam on the gas pedal, you take off and you get out of there. Even if we don't uh, perceive our stress as necessarily negative, even if it's neutral again, because the brain and body don't differentiate between what they are, our, our minds do like our conscious mind differentiates between those things. Stress is still stress and still has an effect. Just the fact that it's present. And so when it becomes a chronic thing, like I said, then we're looking at a burnout situation over the long term because we can't get that regeneration. So we have to figure out and how we create strategies for this is when self-critical athletes are always fired up, that sympathetic system is always active. We have to find specific strategies that will then let up on the gas pedal and press down on the brake pedal because you can't slam them both to the ground at the same time. (laughs) It just does not work. So we have to find some sort of balance so that the athlete is still alert and able to perform because that kind of stress or alertness is good for us when going into game scenarios, for example, to be active mentally and at the same time, not be overwhelmed with stress and still be able to get into recovery mode and have some level of self-regulation. Like I'm not always just stressed. I can also recover. There has to be some level of balance. Right. Yeah. You hit on before like burnout and injuries and things like that. And yeah. a lot of times I don't think we like pay attention to like injuries can happen when you're like, you know, playing and competing like in, in action, but then, you know, not being able to regulate stress and like sleep, you know, nutrition that also contributes to injuries. Like, do you see that yeah. in athletes? Certainly. So we have like contact injuries where 
those are the things that we as sports scientists cry about because we can't prevent them, right? You know, you go up for a header and you clash heads with somebody, bam, that's a double concussion and there's blood going everywhere. You know, those are contact injuries that you can't really prevent. But then we have non-contact injuries, for example, like muscular strains or even joint issues often, or patella tendonitis is very common. So tendonitis is, for example, an overuse injury, things where we have an overtraining situation, which isn't necessarily because the training stress was too high. It was that the stress of life period was too high in general because we had a chronic stress situation. And then here comes the injury because the body wasn't able to recover itself. For example, in sleep, our body is regenerating our tissues. Yes, but it's also in our brain, collecting memories, standardizing memories, packing them all back in our long-term memory, and then also enhancing the connections within our body, the neuron, the neuronal connections within our body. And if we don't have that, if we don't have that regeneration, our gas pedal is always flat on the floor. I know you guys can't see the camera, but I'm totally gesturing with the gas pedals the whole time, like doing the gay limp wrist thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Cause I'm gay. So I can do yeah, that. That's <laughs> it's <laughs> the gas pedal yeah. and the brake pedal. We have to figure out how to get the gas pedal off the floor. And sometimes it's not, Hey, let's slam the brake pedal down and go into regeneration mode. It's more like we have to get you out of the danger zone of going so hard that you're going to hit the wall and fall apart. Mm-hmm. And that's a burnout situation. Yeah. Uh, I just think it's so important for parents to hear because we tend to like overcorrect on the physical side because it's so easy, you know, Yeah, maybe not easy, but it's just like the tangible thing. Like, okay, well, let's just, we're going to, you know, manage how much you're training and like ice and things like that. But like, it's so much bigger than that. It's like the holistic, the, the stressors that are, that come off the court in the field. Yeah, totally. Like you could break it down into two. So when we're talking about load management specifically, and this is more of the sports science side, but very applicable to stress management as well, is when you're looking at the total package of training, we're also looking at life stress. We're looking at school stress for young athletes, for female athletes or athletes born as female. We're also looking at their menstrual cycle. That's really, really important as well. You know, family support system, psychological well-being, et cetera. Those are all parts of load management, but specifically about sport management, like the the management of loads in sport, we have external load, which is the work that an athlete does like a five, five sets of five repetitions of squat or Mm -hmm. a 400 meter run something or 90 minutes played on the field. That's external load. And then we have internal load, which is how the body and brain adapt to the work that was done. So for example, that wellness and everything else besides the training session that was done, that's the external load. And the internal load is literally everything else. So if we don't pay attention to the internal load, which is 90% of the equation, we've really messed something up. So yes, for parents, that's really important, especially for parents of female adolescent athletes who, in my experience, are usually underfed, overstressed and overtrained and don't sleep enough. And that's a catastrophic equation for somebody who's trying to perform well. So it's more about just the work that's done in training. Definitely. Yeah. Oh gosh. So important. Okay. So now that we, we know, and we realize like we've all seen the light, right? Parents that are listening and <laughs> seen the light. It's not Woo! just their physical training. Yeah. We need to pay attention to their mental health and their stress and menstrual yeah. cycles, like all of that. I know this is kind of a broad question, but you're the expert. What, where should athletes start as they, you know, tread in this area of like managing this better? Mm-hmm. So I used to work in a specific area of emotional intelligence research, and we came up there with a really cool pathway for how we can learn essentially self-regulation and the goal with the goal being being able to express things in our own way and 
So basically express what we want to express and push down what we is not appropriate to express or don't want to. For example, I'm super stressed out. So I'm going to healthily press that down and express joy or express mm. performance. For example, the yeah. first one is identification. Like you have to know what's going on before you can change anything. So we have to know, for example, how do you talk to yourself or do you talk to yourself? Like what's your form of communication internally? And if you do talk to yourself, how is it positive? Is it negative? Do you just like complain to yourself about yourself all the time? Are you encouraging yourself? Do you talk to yourself like a person? Do you talk to yourself like a dog? Do you talk to yourself like your parents talk to you? Do you talk to yourself like somebody you love? Like that internal dialogue, a lot of times we don't realize it's going on because it's so ingrained in us, but super important because that voice speaks to us louder when we're stressed, especially if we're we are critical. And that then turns into the inner critic as well, who won't let you succeed. And we don't want a self-sabotage situation, right? Critical athletes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So the first step is always identification. And then then another thing would be, okay, so I've got the self-talk part down. I'm starting to, I don't know, um, making a tally mark every time that I notice that I talk to myself for a day. And then the next day I tally up how many times did I catch myself talking to myself about good things? How many times was it negative? just to have an idea, become aware of what's relevant for you. Maybe there's some people who don't have an internal dialogue, for example. And if that's you, then this isn't relevant for you. Everybody has, we have to look at it individually. The next thing is just to look at when and where do I get stressed? And is there any kind of pattern? Like, is it in a situation where I'm starting a game? Is it in a situation where I know the coach is looking at me funny? Is it in a situation where there's two other teammates who are making me nervous or when my parents are there or when I'm just not feeling well, what's the pattern? Like, do you notice that you have anxiety or is it just something that is there and it's such a normal part? You don't even realize you have it or where does it pop up? Is it just in training? Is it just in competition? Is it here or there? So getting a little bit more specific and understanding what your particular situation is. Now we have a grasp of we've identified now we can do something with it. So now we want to know. We move from identification into knowing, doing a little bit of research. <laughs> and that's where the, the sports psych skills come in. And I'm sure we're about to talk about that, aren't we? <laughs> um, yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that, that's great. So first you said like awareness, right? Yeah, the identification. Like identification. How are we talking to ourselves? What are situations that commonly put us in, well, athletes in mm-hmm. social situations And then what comes next? Like we've got like, okay, we're stressed now. How do, how do athletes cope and manage with that? Okay. So the first thing is back to identification. What's the coping skill that you're using now for that specific Mm -hmm. thing? So if you're self-talking, what's in what way is it? If you are, feel like you're on the urge of having a panic attack right before you go into a match. How are you coping with that? Like, are you just pushing it down? You're obviously doing something with it because you're having it. So that means you have to cope with it somehow. And then figuring out, is that adaptive? Like, is that productive? Is that actually helping me? Or is it maladaptive? Because mm. whatever you've developed, people develop coping mechanisms throughout their life that actually helped them at one point and now probably don't help them anymore. So we need to do a quick analysis, especially if you're very perfectionistic and self-critical, you probably have a ton of these to handle the stress of your life. And I'm one of you. So that's why I'm talking to you like this, right? (laughs) Figuring out, is it positive or is it negative? And if it's negative, then we need to look at, for example, if my self-talk is just always negative, okay, but is helping you or not helping you because negative self-talk can actually help you 
but you can't be punishing yourself. If you're punishing yourself now, it's become negative and it's, it's decreasing your performance and your mental health. Most likely it's taking its toll somewhere, but never just saying, okay, this, this coping mechanism is bad. For example, self-talk period. I'm just not going to use anything. We need to now find another skill. For example, speaking affirmations to yourself as soon as you realize I'm speaking badly. So what's the inverse of that? For example, I am absolutely terrible at penalty kicks. What's Mm -hmm. the inverse of that? I could have, or I can have five things that are my go-to affirmations. For example, I'm a great leader or, but I'm great at corner kicks or I'm, I'm great and punctual when it matters, something like that, where you have a system that becomes automatized because you use it so often that that now becomes your go-to coping mechanism. And that old one that was maladaptive is not part of your repertoire anymore. So again, identifying, understanding, and knowledge around what is, is it specifically for you? Is it positive or negative what you're already doing? It's negative. We need to find something that helps you be productive, but that's specific to you. (laughs) So figure it out. Right. Well, actually, Julia's coming into our dream team, our small group uh, next week or next, not next week, next month. Surprise. She's coming in. She's going to be working um, more specifically with that small group of athletes to really help them through like specific, like what is it for you? So I'm excited that our athletes get to experience that. Yeah, man. Um, Totally. But real quick, did you, do you, do you see athletes? I mean, obviously you say like they cope in some, like you have to cope with it. Like if it's happening. Yeah. So what are ways that you see athletes like you know, attempting to cope and maybe it's not working and maybe it's individual, but like, what are common ways that we think like, okay, this is how I'm going to manage my stress, but then it actually like doesn't really work the way that we intended to. A lot of people bottle it up and try and put their emotions into their play and then either have an explosive angry episode or have a panic attack or just their, they choke under pressure is another term that we commonly use in the research where you're usually capable of doing an excellent job. And we know that this is way below your average ability, but you just bombed this game or you bombed the shot, whatever. And then you just drastically underperform. It's extremely embarrassing. And then we have to do something called damage control. And that's never what we want to get to in athlete or in performance situations or in life period. We would rather prevent an episode like that from happening or manage the stress while it's happening. So that again, doesn't become a chronic situation or a long-term situation instead of not being able to do anything and then having to clean up the mess afterwards. So yeah, for example, an athlete who send balls to the moon when they're taking penalty kicks, because they just mm-hmm. can't handle the pressure of the entire stadium looking at them and, you know, the game hanging on them. Okay. What do you do? You have to make sure that your brain is there somehow. So yeah. there are skills like having anchors. Like if there's a particular seat in the stadium, that is an anchor for you or a corner flag. That's an anchor for you just to be like, I'm here in this moment or have an anchor on your own body, put your hand on your chest or look at your hand or snap your hairband on your wrist just to be like, I'm in my body. I'm not out in space right now. I know I'm stressed, but I am here. And then also to remind yourself, this is not a life or death situation. Your brain and body think it's a life and death situation. And your, your body is trying to run for its life. And that's why you're so stressed out right now, but nobody's going to die. Whether you bomb this penalty kick or not, I promise, you know, your whole life doesn't hang on this. We think that when we're totally sport, you were an athlete too. You know how it is like, like, oh my God, I will die if I don't like this. Yeah. It's not that serious. Yeah. It totally does feel like that in the moment. And when I'm coaching, I feel like yeah. worse almost, but I think that remind that groundedness is kind of what I'm hearing you say, like yeah. bring it back, you know, um, 
yeah, that's, that's, but, but it's fascinating because science, and I didn't really realize this until I really started studying sprinting and that is, is the best sprinters actually are the best at relaxing while exerting the most amount of force. And so if I apply that same concept to any kind of high performance, like we actually get the best out of us when we're in also relaxed as well, because it's so automatized, like when we're advanced in a skill, we have automatized that skill. And so we don't need to have this step-by-step process that actually brings us out of the, the doing the expertise. Like if you've practiced that penalty kick a thousand times, you know how to do it. So as soon as you start doing this step-by-step this is what I do. And then this is what I do. You become a beginner again, because that's what beginners do. So now you've knocked your socks off because you've taken away your own expertise by babying yourself. Essentially, when you don't need to be babied, you have trained for this all your life or all year or whatever. And a lot of my athletes, when I work in a sports psych context, we use that as affirmations. Like how many times have you done the skill? A thousand. That's your Mm -hmm. affirmation. I've done the skill a thousand times. I've taken this free throw. I've made this free throw a thousand times. You can do it. You're not on the run. It's not life or death. Nothing's hanging on this. All right. So many, so many parents in our community, like they recognize this in their athletes and they're like, yeah, this is my athlete. She's super self-critical. She is probably carrying around all this chronic stress because of the pressure she's putting on herself to perform and all of this. So, and they wonder like, how can I help? Like, what is my role in this? What should I be doing? And what advice would you give in that area from parents' perspective? it's tough for parents because there is that interdependability or it's not even codependence. It's just an interdependability between a child and a parent that is naturally there. You know, you got to drive me somewhere. You got to help me with my schedule. You got to be available to feed me. (laughs) A big thing here is not being critical of your athlete, just enjoying your athlete. Like it, it seems super cliche to be like, I love watching you play, but that really means a lot to athletes who are like criticizing their own every single move and every single mistake. And the last thing they need from you is another critique. Cause I promise they got it. <laughs> they got oh, it the yeah. first time, the second time and the third time in their own brain, they don't need it from you too. Mm-hmm. And as much as we often think that they need our commentary and it's just absolutely important that we get that out. It usually isn't, especially not exactly right after a competition or a mistake or a hard loss, wait 24 hours. And that usually clears things up. Focusing on regeneration that as soon as an athlete has performed in any way, it can be exams. It could be a breakup. It could be a fight in the family. It's a human need. It's critical that we recover after any kind of stress, whether it's emotional, cognitive, physical, whatever. And so actually valuing that and not giving your athlete trash for taking rest times because it's really important, making sure that they value sleep or encouraging them to value sleep, encouraging them to eat and not criticizing their food. Cause like I said, as much as mm, a discussion has been going on about obesity in America and, and youth, again, a lot of the female athletes that I work with and see the majority actually are underfed and under recovered and later on have menstrual cycle issues and injury issues related to being underfed as a teenager. Mm -hmm. And it's not good folks. It's really not good. So please don't criticize them about that. They're learning how to intuitively listen to their bodies and their bodies are eventually going to tell them when to eat and when to rest and when to go to sleep. And please don't criticize those things. In fact, encourage them. It's great that they're doing that early. I wish I learned that early. When did you learn how to do that as an athlete? Uh, yeah, After you retired. Yeah, I was gonna say when I was like 28. Right. <laughs> after long gone. From my- yeah, me at 25 was like, oh, I can actually feel when I'm tired in my legs. Yeah. I didn't know that. 
Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and so it will help them save them a lot of time later on having to recover from those things and keep them healthy in the present as well. And the last thing I would say is really time because time pressure, there's only so much time and energy in a day. And at some point, again, your athlete is going to have to recover, regenerate, probably be alone, maybe be with, be with friends. And they also need social support outside of family and sport and school. So whether that's other friends, whether they have other organizations or other things that they're a part of, they also need time to have to play. We call that deliberate play and deliberate practice because the play allows them to be more creative in the actual practice. And so they actually need that time to recover, to be creative, to be themselves, to be expressive. And that translates then, we know this from long-term athletic development research now, into more creative technical and tactical play as well in sport and can help us motivate for sport as well, because life Mm -hmm. is suddenly not just all about sports. It's not just all about stress. There's also other cool things that we can enjoy in life. And sport is then able to be more valued because it's not so much of a central focus, a job or a stress. Mm -hmm. I hope that made sense. Oh yeah, totally. It, it honestly, as you were talking about all that, it made me think of like my childhood, you know, when, mm-hmm. when it was just fun to like go out, play, yeah. like when you were hungry, you ate, when you were tired, you slept when, you know, you know, you go out and climb trees with your friends or your yeah. siblings or whatever. And then yeah. you come down, you run in the garage and you make yourself a peanut butter and jelly, eat a banana, go out in the sandbox in the back, play house, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Allowing people to be creative is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Even athletes who are in high school, it's still right. really valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Cause of course they have a little bit more structure though. They have a lot more structure, but I love that. Like just allowing them to have time where it's not structured or dictated yeah. by their coach or their parents or yeah. Yeah. A lot of times they Definitely. don't know what to do with themselves though. when they're like, uh, so. yeah, totally. But allowing them to develop these hobbies outside of sport is actually really great for stress management as well, because then when they're not around their sports friends, they're not around their family, they're not at school. And those are all performance areas and they have hobbies outside of that. It's suddenly a non-performance area. Mm. Oh, and it's yeah. important for athletes to also become like, be a human being outside of a performance area. Like here, I'm not a soccer player. I'm not a basketball player. I'm not a volleyball player. I'm not a student. I'm not a child who somebody has to be proud of or clean up my mess, whatever. Yeah. I'm just Julia in this right. knitting club or whatever. I don't yeah. knit, but I don't know why that came to me. But <laughs> take it up. <laughs> yeah. Considering. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel like I could talk about this all day. And I'm learning like parenting things as I, I'm like, okay, yeah, I might We're gonna tear it up in January. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm so excited. Okay, well, wrapping this up a little bit, I, I like to ask this question because and this isn't this doesn't have to be related to our topic today, but what are you looking forward to? in the next few months. Oof. I'm not very good about taking vacation because mm. even though I'm a stress researcher, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like to be stressed out all the time as well. Right. So the week before Christmas and new year's, it's been my goal since 2019 to take that week completely off work. Mm. And so I'm taking that week completely off work and going to stay with a friend outside of the city and do nothing probably oh just ride, ride my bike around and hopefully enjoy some snow and some relaxation and catch up on these eight books that I keep buying and saying, I'm going to read. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I could, that's how I'm like, should probably stop ordering books before I read, right? not read the last. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But oh, to be yeah. honest, uh, just speaking on the stress management topic again, it's really important mm-hmm. for me as a coach, somebody who's a provider for athletes to also manage my stress and take breaks mm-hmm. and to be away from them. I can't wait for us to go into off season in two weeks. We have break and 
Mm-hmm. I need this five weeks to not look at those guys, not see yeah. them, not smell them, not hear them and let them go be guys, not think about their sport for a couple of days, enjoy their own training for a couple of weeks, and then we can get back to business. But mm-hmm. stress management and load management is really important for coaches and staff members as well. Oh yeah. That's a reminder for me too. Cause yeah, I, I'm like, I, I just finished our season too. And I'm like, okay, we need to, we need to rest. We need to re- yeah. Cool. Yeah. Oh, it's exhausting. It's a huge load. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, I hope that is amazing and that you'll come back even more like regenerated and feeling creative and ready to go. I mean, this has been super, super helpful, interesting. Like I said, I feel like I could talk about this all day. So for, for parents and for athletes who want more in this area, I know you have your company and where can we find you and give us all the deets. You can find me at white lion performance dot com or at white lion performance on instagram that's pretty much my code name for everything or julia lion under other places i don't have a podcast anymore because that is super time consuming but i think i have like 60 episode on episodes under the lion's main podcast and a lot of videos on youtube regarding load management stress management how to become a strength coach how to become a psychologist the whole works so whatever you're looking for i probably have a blog post about that and I also did a TED talk, but that's not out yet. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's cool. Okay. Well, I'll send it to you. Yeah. I'm, I'm like excited to, re- to watch that. That's super. But feel free to reach out if you have any questions. I'm generally pretty active on the sites and always um, looking to give out more information. So okay. I appreciate any suggestions. Awesome. All right, Julie. Well, this has been great. Thank you again for, for coming on. I know that our community is just, you know, hopefully just soaking this in because this is amazing. So I hope so too. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciated you sharing your mic with me and uh, thanks community. I look forward to hearing from you guys. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that episode, moms. Quick reminder that registration is open for our What to Say Challenge happening May 14th through 17th. Head over to register so you can join us to learn proven strategies and game-changing scripts you'll keep in your back pocket for those pre- and post-game pep talks. The challenge is just $19 during our earlier pricing happening right now. So head to sportsmom.fyi forward slash challenge. That's also linked in the show notes, and I will see you there.